There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. And today on the show, we are joined by Tyler Jones and Casey Smith of The Element to discuss hunting in the South, making a trip from the South to hunt in the Midwest, and how to kill public land bucks. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And today, we've got a much-needed topic of discussion, something we don't talk about enough. I'm sorry to those of you who have been asking for this and that I've been not doing it as much as I know you want, but we are talking about hunting in the South. We're talking about hunting in Texas. We're talking about the differences between hunting in the South and heading North and going to places like the Midwest and elsewhere. And joining me to do that is Casey Smith and Tyler Jones. They run the Element Podcast, the Element YouTube channel. They are a couple diehard public land bow hunters, and they're getting it done. They're traveling across the country, killing great bucks, doing it the DIY, every man's kind of way that any of you could possibly replicate. So they're the type of people I really love to chat with, and they've got a great perspective, especially because they're hunting a place that that I haven't hunted before, Texas, but they're having success in places that I have as well. So I thought this would be really interesting to see what's different, what's the same, what can be applied to either or. Uh, I think there's a little bit of something for everyone here today. So I don't want to beat around the bush too much. I will just give you a couple heads ups, a couple reminders before we get into it. Hunting season is about to start. My season kicks off here in just a matter of days almost, which is insane. Uh, If you want to stay up to date with what's going on with my season or Tony Peterson's or anyone else, make sure you're following Wired to Hunt on social media. In particular, on Instagram, you'll get to see the latest stories from my hunts, updates on what's happening. And then finally, make sure you're going over to the Wired Hunt website and signing up for our newsletter to get the weekly kind of note from me to get all the latest content shared with you. If you go to the meateater.com slash wired, W-I-R-E-D, that's where you're going to find all of our articles. You'll have the opportunity to sign up for the newsletter there, and uh, you'll be up to speed 
and be getting a lot of whitetail know-how to your inbox every week. So without any further ado, I think you're going to enjoy this chat. I definitely did. Let's get into it with Casey Smith and Tyler Jones. All right, here with me on the line, I've got Tyler Jones and Casey Smith. Welcome to the show, guys. Man, glad to be here. Thanks Thanks, for having us. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time for it. I know uh, you got a busy schedule ahead of you. I'm sure you're just like me right now, which is running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to finalize last-minute projects and get stuff packed and start thinking because I I take off for my first hunt of the year on Friday, so seven days from now, six days from now. Uh, Are you guys in a similar boat? Yeah, dude. Pretty much, yeah. I'll add to that that we... um, (laughs) <laughs> been redialing archery equipment the last little bit and it, yeah same boat you know it's <laughs> trying to get stuff ready for the first hunt of the year where are you headed uh well i'll tell you where i'm headed but you're, you got me terrified i have to ask when you say you're re <laughs> you're redialing archery equipment seven days before the hunt that sounds like the kind of yeah, thing that's making uh, my stomach uh, turn what happened uh well it's just a situation with um you know having new newer bows and trying to decide if we're going to use stuff we're older that are older and you're comfortable with or if the new stuff's going to work out and yada yada it's really not basically, the best advice to tell you the truth of the matter but <laughs> basically uh, coronavirus has uh you know kind of crushed all different shipping and production and manufacturing and everything so like we just got bows that we thought we would get about may or june mm-hmm. and so um and I guess just not knowing whether that was coming or not, um, I I didn't ever get my old bow tuned up, which is a 10-year-old Matthews. So it's like, you know, uh, it needed some work, uh, and I just never got it done. And now we're in this boat where we got bows. and yeah. But we're feeling good now. Yeah. yeah. it's uh, The beautiful thing about archery equipment nowadays is most of it's pretty good. So, you know, if you've had a history of shooting, then yeah. – uh, it's just about getting comfortable with the system, and you know that's what we do. That's what we true. Love to do. I always get stressed when I know that there's like a bow update coming, or I've got to change, and and I always have this period of paranoia or manic terror when I know that I've got a new <laughs> I've got a new bow coming, and then the bow arrives, and I'm always like, oh no, you know, is this gonna fit? Is this gonna feel right? You know, even if I shot it at the shop before, there's always this feeling like, oh, it's never gonna be quite as good as how used to I was with the old bow. And then, like you, what you just said, every time, like over the last, I don't know, ten years, when I've been kind of getting newer bows more often than I used to, I always am shocked by how quickly these things just they tune fast. You get used to them fast. There, I think maybe it comes right down to the fact that all of the, you know relatively high-end bows now are all they're all just darn great you really can't go wrong i don't think now they're all i don't know long ways from i mean maybe you're gonna tell a difference from your 10 year old bow to now but uh but they're all pretty good yeah yeah. kc was saying yesterday he was like man like as a as a producer in this consumer market we have like you can't get away with anything that's not you know doesn't function like really well because that you know consumers will just squash you on the internet in no time and you'll be out of business yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly you know our dads grew up when like word of mouth was the only way that anything happened and everybody just shot what their local bow shop provided you know but mm-hmm. now it's like if you don't make a decent product you know everybody knows mm-hmm. yeah. the words gonna be that quick very very true which is a good thing for us i guess the consumers that everything out there is is sure. pretty darn pretty darn functional so i can't sure. complain about that 
But uh, you asked where my first hunt cool. is. I'm going to I'm going to Idaho <laughs> for a whitetail hunt soon. What about you guys? Yeah, we're headed to Nebraska for uh, for whitetail as well. I guess it's any deer tag, but uh, be pretty whitetail heavy just because it's uh it's what we know, you know. But I'm not going to turn down an opportunity on a stalk or a shot at a mule deer either. So nice, pretty excited. That's actually my first like uh, early. I guess you call it early season hunt, you know, like a September velvet hunt or whatever. It's my first time to do that. I usually uh, go elk hunting this time of year. And then uh, Tyler and I talked a lot about stuff and decided we'd go try to do like an adventure hunt kind of more for deer instead. So that's kind of the plan. That's awesome. What else is on the slate this year? You guys travel a lot. Uh, how many states? What are you hitting? Um, <laughs> let's say that's a great one, question. One, two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you probably know this, but as public land hunters, uh, sometimes even states you're you're a little bit conservative about mentioning. But nah, not a big. <laughs> I guess we have. Uh, if you want to give me like code names for them or like abbreviations, yes, okay. so uh, <laughs> we're going to Nebraska. We're going to SD, South Dakota, yeah. and then uh, and then it'll be Texas, maybe probably Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas. Kansas and uh, maybe a couple other fill-ins. Definitely one other. Uh, there might be like Oklahoma. Um, just kind of depends. Like you probably know this, but like once November comes, anything can happen, and it's mm. just like it's the same thing for your travel plans. Like at any time, it can change. You know. Yeah. Well, y'all kind of are in a similar situation over the past few years, at least, where like Tyler, this was your 2020 season. Mark, I think it was uh, 19 when you shot the big buck. But, like, there's sometimes a deer can yeah. come into your life and just, like, wreck your plans completely in a good way. <laughs> yes. You know, and you're just like, okay, everything is on hold until something happens here. Yeah. yeah. And it's great to have the flexibility to be able to do that. I, I, that yes. That's really nice. I missed that a little bit because since starting to film stuff like this, like the, I was filming the Back 40 the last couple of years, and now this year we're filming some new stuff we have to have like stuff locked in like cuz we're scheduling cameramen and and all that kind of stuff is totally thrown out my ability to 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 ad hoc and to improvise so i feel like i now have my hands tied in this i, I can't complain about it cuz I, I get to do cool stuff but i'm going to complain yeah. about it right now i guess and say that <laughs> i miss your flexibility <laughs> what else what else is podcasting except just complaining for an hour right? <laughs> that's, that's what we do that's true I'm glad that's. I'm glad I don't have the only podcast like that. <laughs> oh yeah. man, so a heck of a a heck of a slate for you guys, and that's it's perfect to hear that to know what you guys have coming down the pipeline because a lot of what I was hoping to talk about today was was about how you do this, how you balance these trips. Um, you know, I've done a lot of this traveling hunting just like you guys. A lot of other people are starting to do that kind of stuff too, but it seems like everyone has their own little thing, their own little style, their own little, I don't know, method to the madness. So it's it's interesting to me, no matter how many people I talk to that travel and hunt new places and hunt public land, I always love to see into their minds that are always unique from mine. But But you guys are much more unique than most of the people I've talked to because of one really big thing. The big thing is that, and this is crazy, like when I sat down and was thinking about this, I can't believe it's true. And I'm going to get murdered for this being true once people realize it's the case. Oh, what's happening? I don't think I have ever, not once, had somebody from Texas on the Wired Hunt podcast. 
Oh what in the world? Dang. How that's, about that? That's why you man. went for a two for right now. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to correct this. I had to correct it in a big way. So yeah, it, it, unless I mean, other than the rot fresh stuff, but I mean, like for a main episode, sure. for a main real wired hunt episode, I've never had a Texas deer hunter on here. Unless there's someone I can't think of that's just blank. And I'm getting old, and I've got kids, so it's possible I've forgotten stuff. <laughs> yes, very possible. No, but that's <laughs> we're honored, man. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely, awesome. man. You need some southern accents on here. I know. I know. It. You're you are not the first person to tell me that. They're sick of hearing my <laughs> stupid Michigan accent and talking about all the weird things we do up here. So, oh man, it's fun. I, I love it. You know, um, my mom is from uh, Minnesota, so like, oh, nice. I, you're speaking my language. I just don't speak it back to you. <laughs> well, I'm glad you understand at least. That's right. That's right. So, so okay. With that, with that being the case, like we have to at least spend. I got to get a Texan's perspective on Texas deer hunting before we go any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So as a, as Texans yourselves mm-hmm. living down there, what do you think about Texas deer hunting culture? What do you think about how it's perceived about the stuff you see going around you is, is what I think Texas deer hunting culture, what it actually is. So that's that. Mm. Of course, that's a pretty subjective question. You're so, a very knowledgeable guy, yeah. so you may not quite think what others perceive. Probably. Yeah, exactly. I would say that um, if if you don't know much about Texas hunting, the cliches you have heard definitely exist. Like there are there are definitely are parts of Texas that are, you know, it's high fence ranches and big buck contests and corn in the middle of two tracks from big tower blinds, you know, and, and like that culture in itself, I'm not going to go down the high fence road too far because I have a lot to say about that. But, uh, you know, just the culture of the South Texas. You can't tease stuff like that and expect me not to (laughs) impress you on it. (laughs) Uh, I'll just say this. It's all a pin. I don't care how big it is. It's a pin. That's what I think about it. But, um, yeah, not a big fan. Uh, but that's a pen for Michigan yeah, people. Yeah, pen. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for translating. Let's keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. So not the same thing as dropping a pen. You yeah. know. It's, 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 but um, you know, as far as just like that style of hunt, you know, uh, of course Texas has a very generous rifle season, um, and a ton of private land, and um. A lot of culture and history behind going to uh, what we call the deer lease, which y'all may, you know, have like a similar concept of like deer camp. You know, it's it's kind of the same kind of thing where you uh, all head down after, you know, watching college football or whatever and go sit out and hunt over bait and, and you know, see what comes in, you know. And it's uh, that's how I started out. That's how I grew up. I didn't do any high fence hunting, you know, and I think Tyler – you probably did a lot of the same stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, same thing. I mean, deer, uh, the deer lease, what we called it all the time for uh, for my family as well. And we just, yeah, you uh, you leave out on a Friday and drive uh, west through the Metroplex and, um, you know, go usually stay in a hotel. So that's the kind of the difference, I guess, in like a deer camp. Yeah. Um, a lot of times um, there's not like a camp on the place or whatever, but – yeah, that's that's kind of like I'm actually Casey and I were talking about this. Uh, we were at the bow shop yesterday um, as we talked about getting our bows worked on, and the you know the uh, the kind of some of the cliches that you hear about big bucks and stuff like that. We were all kind of at home talking am- amongst each other about these things, and like I didn't feel like I, I like um, some of the the different cultural ideologies that we have. Um, but, you know, there are different little niches where yeah. you've got certain guys that think 
a lot. You know, I have no problem with with high fences. And then there's some guys that uh, are kind of indifferent. And then there's some guys that, you know, absolutely can't stand them. <laughs> and so, you know, just I think that uh, I don't know for sure what the perspective is outside of the state. I do think that uh, we get kind of a pompous um, – we have like people think we have a pompous air about us, I guess. Sometimes, uh, being from Texas, we get bigger and better and that kind of thing, you know. Dallas um, Cowboys, man. Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. That's how it goes. Is um, there that much just, to brag about there? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. not down there. No, <laughs> no sir. Uh, but anyway, it's just I think that um, you know, like sometimes when we got a state, me and KC at least, we try to kind of like lay low at a Colorado trailhead because we feel like everybody up there hates Texans <laughs> because they come and hunt OTC elk you know or whatever so yeah we have to kind of think about that sometimes when we're out and about but uh, i think uh hunting culture wise though it's like maybe this could compare for for you specifically and other people might have a, a similar idea um you know texas is a huge state geographically right so mm-hmm. um you i know michigan is pretty spread out we were there a couple of weeks ago it's a cool place but we were in southern michigan and it's completely different than the up yeah right so uh, text, imagine Texas, uh, like that, but like in seven different, seven different directions, you know? So what people think about is the, the cliche Texas type hunt is pretty regional. You know, it's, it's probably a, you know, what do you say? 200 by 200 square mile area, something like yeah. that, which sounds like a huge chunk of land and it is, but like you also have all these different subsets uh, or, you yeah. know, uh, I guess you would say um, biomes or whatever they might be of just different hunting cultures. You know, where we live, we're kind of right on the edge of um, kind of more of a uh, agrarian, like what you might think of as Kansas, Oklahoma type stuff where there is some, you know, beans and corn and things like that kind of north of us. And then kind of where we are exactly is the transition into like more of deep south type stuff with pines and oaks and stuff like that. So much more still you know, a lot of gun hunting that goes on, um, but close quarters, long sits without seeing any deer, stuff like that. And that's kind of how we grew up mm-hmm. hunting, at least closer to home. You know, like the the deer lease thing was almost like vacation or really was the vacation that we had. Mm-hmm. Now, what about deer behavior, deer numbers, deer quality, all that? Now, understanding that like you just said, very regional. This might be different, obviously different in different parts of the state. Yeah, but if you sure. had to, if you had to give me a a Texas deer one on one, can you give me <laughs> like how? And I guess what I'm going to ask you is here because we we need a reference point. Tell me how Texas yeah. deer are different compared to like the Midwestern states you've been to that I've also been to and that a lot of people <laughs> listening have. Um, what's that? How does that differ? Because I I know there's differences there. What stands out to sure. you? Uh, yeah, tiny bodies. Tiny bodies is probably the first, the first thing, thing I was going to say. Too. Yeah. 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 So uh, Tyler actually uh, killed a giant, possibly once in a lifetime deer off of his property here last year, which none of y'all need to know where that's at. But um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, he for sure is just a beautiful specimen, right? But um, you walk up on him, and it's just body wise you know, maybe two thirds of what you might see in most of your Midwestern states, you know, like, what do you think that deer weight on the hook? Man, 175 pounds yeah, or something like something that, like maybe, that. um, you know, just a completely different, uh, not to make anybody mad here, but subspecies, I guess, of deer. Um, oh, here we go. So, I mean, even like <laughs> skinning them out, like, um, 
the the hair was so much shorter and thinner and the skin was so much thinner um, because they just don't have to, you know, like we still get a lot of Gulf air here. So we have a pretty moderate uh, winter and uh, we can almost grow citrus trees here, you know. <laughs> Until Armageddon um, happens. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but like, you know, like if I was to think about uh, trying to explain this to people who haven't been to Texas and deer hunted, I would think um, as our region and maybe maybe like also like the deep east Texas stuff as being kind of a similar region with smaller body deer, uh, some kind of like darker hair characteristic traits. Um, a lot of the rut is going to be like probably smack dab in the middle of November, like around the 14th, you know, we've seen really good trail camera data around the 14th of November. Um, so obviously like that's when the chasing period is happening, uh, the most pronounced, I guess. Um, and then you could go down to, uh, the Gulf where KC spent some time, um, on the coast and what were they, they were running in like August and September. Yeah, August and September, they would, um, they would rut before, um, you know, even deer season started, and that was mm-hmm. always the local thing. It was like, well, we don't even get to hunt them in the rut. Well, th- yeah, that's a weird thing too, is because like they manage, um, they manage our state. Kind of, you know, they try to do like some regions, but it's not really um, as micro regional or micro regionally managed as it should be, probably. But I mean, you've got you've got that happening on like in the South Texas Gulf, uh, Gulf Coast area, and then over to the west is all the brush country, which is mesquites and senderos and stuff like that and um that's where the big money is and the big ranches lots of high fence places down there still low fence places too and you've got a mid-december rut kind of early to mid-december um is when you see the most uh chasing and stuff like that and then you've got the trans-pecos region way out west if you look at kind of that uh western uh, little pointy thing where the rio meets (laughs) um that's all going to be a lot more arid and mountainous um and and really more mule deer than anything. Carmen White, t- Carmen Mountain Whitetail, right over yeah, there. Some of there. that. I mean, I've spent some time out there, and there are whitetails yeah. like all the way out. But it's just, uh, I don't know. It's almost inaccessible because so many large land tracks, you know. Right. That's that's. I mean, it's so it's so privatized out there. You're talking about like Jeff Bezos is <laughs> yeah. the guy, one of the owners of <laughs> land out there, you know. So like, um, then you got the Panhandle region, which is a little more of that kind of Midwest feeling, a little bit bigger body deer um, overall. Um, little lower numbers, um, throughout and still very privatized. So this is stuff you know more about, but the lower Rio Grande Valley stuff down there, that's like, or not lower, but Rio Grande Valley, you have the, the golden triangle where it's an anomaly of deer body size. Yeah. So that brush country I was talking about is typically the deer there are a bigger body size as well than most of the rest of the state. Um, and I don't know why that is necessarily because just good forage they say mesquite mesquite beans are actually a high high source of protein i don't know but um yeah those are kind of some of the regions then we've got like north texas what's considered kind of north texas which is like dfw region and all that surrounding and out west a little ways to the panhandle and that's still pretty mesquite heavy um i think those mesquites actually came up with the cattle drives from like mexico and central america that's kind of cool living around here is that like when you see mesquite like we have a couple patches locally uh, you know it's because those cattle were driven up from like that brush country stuff way down south mm-hmm. and then defecated and spreaded se- or spread seeds up here. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a – it's just a cool yeah. legacy type thing. And then right in the middle is the hill country. We call it hill country. A lot of people up in like 
your area would probably laugh at us because they're not, you know, it's just hillier than everything else, but um, it's a lot of limestone and stuff like that. Real pretty country. It's actually really high dollar real estate, uh, a lot of it. Um, and and there is some uh, public land down there. Uh, a lot of it's on a draw. And those deer are very small bodied overall and um, very plentiful. It's wild, man. Like, um, you know, you're talking, I think you're kind of alluding to like, uh, you were talking some about like, you know, body characteristics and stuff like that. And of course, uh, we went straight to body size, but you know, antlers are what kind of makes this thing go round. You know, it's, it's, it's so weird how it's been stigmatized when you talk about trophies and things like that, just because of, you know, how just in the public, everything we do is now. Right. So you have to just kind of be careful about the way you describe things, but it also makes you, um, take a little extra effort to explain your reasoning on stuff. But Mm -hmm. Anyways, you know, for antler size and stuff like that, uh, I feel like most people down here are just doing their best to shoot something that's, you know, in the 125 and ups type thing. You know, it's just anytime you see a deer around here that's going to score super high, it's because it has like a 140s to 150s type frame and a bunch of junk. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like that's what is going to usually happen. We just don't have the genetics, at least in our area, to have those, you know, 70s and 80s top deer. But it happens every once in a while. So uh, there's always these old stories, and you might know the other end of it, but um, like you go to the taxidermist or something, there'll be an old guy there, and he's like, oh, that's one of them deer that's got some of that Michigan blood in them. You know, back in the <laughs> 80s, they brought them Michigan deer down here. Yeah. <laughs> they love to talk about that, uh-huh. man. They love it. <laughs> But I don't know how many deer y'all had to give away, but it must have been millions, according to these old-timers. I'm glad that a few of them made it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Pay attention here, because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant griddle now this this is a good innovation here and it solves a real problem okay so this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools like a griddle on your grill 
It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. There's no use of coatings, okay? You can use metal tools to flip, press, and scrape without worry. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't because they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. What about behavior? I mean, if if I'm thinking about the assumptions I have of Texas, I've never hunted there. I have spent a little bit of time there. I've got family that live down there, so I've visited. Uh, and so I've seen some of the critters running around. If I had to make an assumption about Texas deer, my assumption from 2,000 miles away is that there's a lot of them. They are kind of dumb. They come into the corn feeder and just feed like birds, blah, 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 on those things that you see. And then secondly, they react to rattling more than anywhere else. That's another thing that I feel like stands out that I've heard. I don't know if that's a myth or not, but if I were going to pull up these assumptions, I'd say, oh, rattling works like crazy in Texas. Tell me, is any of that actually true? And then number two, Having the experience you guys have of Midwest and Texas, how do you actually see things being different from a behavior standpoint and how they operate and, and all that stuff? It's wild because uh, I, I hate to go back to this, but it's so regional because we have such a large state. I would say that what we hunt on a normal basis, which is kind of the eastern half of the state, none of those things that you've mentioned would be true here. Mm-hmm. But what we have here looks nothing like what you might get a chance to see on TV because everybody does go where it's probably a little easier to do. Yeah. You know, like for instance, where we live, um, a lot of, you know, suburban lot type areas and, and, um, you know, neighborhoods and stuff, but even the larger tracks, I mean, you're talking about 40, 50 acres, stuff like that, which I'm, it's probably kind of similar to, um, you know, kind of where you're from, whereas out West, you know, in the Western half of our state, uh, you know, 2000 acres is a small place. So what ends up happening, uh, where we live is since it's, um, you know, bait is legal here, every 20 acre property has a corn feeder. So, uh, it's kind of one of those situations where if everyone's on the same plane, you're on the same plane, you know, <laughs> if you have a corn right. feeder in the middle of 2000 acres, you can bring some deer in, you know, but if you have 20 corn feeders on 2000 acres, you can't bring in very many deer, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah. I think, um, We've talked about this at length on our show before, but uh, corn is kind of a weird deal because mm-hmm. it can make some things good. It can make situations uh, calmer. Tyler talks about this a lot. Like if you can get a deer where they're feeding, they're usually very comfortable. So a lot of times you can make very ethical, good, clean shots. However, um, deer seem to like recognize that they are being fed a lot of times, you know. So um Maybe on a place like you see, like on TV, where, um, you know, it's fairly low pressure, large track of land, uh, you know, they come into the feeder, like you're saying. And a lot of times, uh, honestly, does around here do that, you know, mm-hmm. but it's weird how bucks have a different mentality about things. Yeah, we have to, we feel like around here, as far as feeding goes, uh, we 
hand feed for um, like if you if you put up a feeder that throws automatically, you know, twice a day or something like that, which a lot of guys do, it's a lot easier on you. But um, you just don't see big bucks show up to those very often. Um, so a lot of times, what guys will do that are in the know kind of will they'll just throw out a couple bags of corn and you know put a trail camera over it. If there's a big deer in the area, then they'll just try to keep some corn there for a while. A lot mm-hmm. of times, um, and then the pigs come in and eat it all. So yeah, you don't. Have <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's another issue. You know that yeah, we yeah. we do. But I'd say this too is that um, you know this is all private land discussion Tyler and I hunt probably 75 percent public land maybe more here in Texas and uh on that baiting is out so you have to pretty much actually hunt deer you know so So. (laughs) but yeah I mean as far as like behaviors go um and rattling and stuff we hardly do it up here where we're from not that it hasn't worked before us before but it's just so it's such I mean what I like to tell people is where you're seeing the tv shows down in the brush country um, I can drive there or I can drive, um, into Illinois, you know what I mean? Like that's the, it's the wow. same amount of time in, in different directions. So, um, the, the, it's to say it's a different region. It's, it's basically a different country almost. It's Mexico. You know what I mean? It's, it's so completely different. That that's really eye opening to think of it that way. So then my next mm-hmm. question is, so why do you go to Illinois instead of going to the other part of Texas? Like what, why, Money, why thanks. leave the Texas the glory land, the Lone Star State. <laughs> and, yeah. So that's a good point. Cause we do have a, you know, we have a tag, our tags are here, you know, and it's a resident fee and everything. So, um, but the reason is, um, I don't know, this is, I, I looked this stat up years ago. I'm not sure how it ranks, but I'm sure it's very accurate still for the most part. But, um, Texas, when I looked this stat up was the ninth largest, um, essentially if you were to look at all the countries in the world, in their economies, we would be the ninth largest country in the world as Ooh. as the yeah. state of Texas. Yeah. I so, believe I looked at it the other day. We've lost a spot. Okay, so we are now the tenth. So we're in your top ten. You know, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, 10. So but okay. the, the point is, like that money that comes out of Dallas and Austin and Houston and San Antonio and all the, and you know all the oil and stuff like that out west and and on the coast, that money translates into corporate leases, which. Um, you know, if you're talking about the best hunting in the state down there where I'm talking about in South Texas, I mean, you're talking there. Those are places that people have to die before you get a chance to hunt because there are these, you know, I mean, some of these places are, you know, Jerry Jones is the guy that, you know, and his 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 kids and grandkids get to yeah. hunt or something, you know, like and they go once a year or whatever. But like that's the kind of money that we're dealing with. I mean, and just not obviously not everybody's as high profile, but they have lots of money. And so, um, and then there's these big businesses that, that have corporate leases that um, they get to, you know, send 20 or 30 dudes out and, and they, they'll hunt it, you know, throughout the year and they coordinate all that through email and whatever yeah. else. You so. compare that with, uh, you know, a out of state OTC tag that's, you know, top end $700, you know, I mean, very top end. Compare you know, Illinois is less than 500 yeah. bucks, you know, yeah, so compare that to, you know, what it would take to get on a, they do it by gun down there, you know, and you, yeah. you do, uh, usually season leases and, uh, you know, by gun is, you know, $3,500 is probably a steal nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, on a spot. And you pair all that with the concept of to do all this within your state, you have to find private land to do it on because, you know, last I checked, we we're like 2.3% public land access like accessible to hunting i think there's four percent in the state but 
And then of those, uh, that 2.3, if you want to really get down and look at what you can actually go out and whitetail hunt with archery or gun equipment, it's real low. Without drawing. Yeah, without you know, drawing. Yeah. And the draw system is, you know, yeah. pretty stacked. Whereas so. you head to, say, a state in the Midwest that's over the counter, you got your, you know, four to $700 tag, I guess, yeah, $500 tag. Um and then you've got all this public property that you can go out and shoot giants on, you know? So you start doing a little math and it's uh, like, uh, maybe I should go do that instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you guys do still stick around a little bit and do that public land thing in Texas, which, uh, which does seem hard to do given there's so little of it, but a lot of people probably that are interested. I mean, I know there's a ton of hunters in Texas. What's, mm-hmm. what are you doing different down there to actually make that work sometimes? Um, you know, we've, we've, uh, one thing that I would say that helps us to kind of, I don't know, separate or whatever, just to, to, um, try to be more efficient is, um, identifying plant life. Um, we do a lot of, I don't know, we're both kind of nerds about gardens and stuff like that. So, um, we can just walk through the woods and pretty much know, you know, all the trees, especially here that we're seeing and what they do, what they produce, um, how big the acorn is, when the hogs or deer like to eat it, how long it's got to sit on the ground. What was that? What's this thing? Uh, acorn? What? Acorns. Right. Acorns. Yeah, acorns. Acorns. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, there's different times of year that those tannins break down. Uh, even if they've been on the ground for a while, you know, deer won't mess with them until December or something. So like we kind of, do do a lot of that and then there's uh other times of the year outside of hunting that help us to hang trail cameras uh you know pre-season or whatever to learn what deer are doing um based off of what they're eating whether that's common ragweed or cedar elm buds or whatever it might be so like that's one thing i think we we use a lot to our Mm -hmm. advantage um and then you know honestly we've done this uh, kind of map scouting, digital map scouting series we've done the last few years with OnX that's um, really just been almost like a practice session for us all summer. And so I think that's tremendously helped us to be able to read maps. Yeah. Is, you pair that. Just Go ahead. I was just going to say, when you're looking and you're e-scouting in this place you hunt in Texas, are you looking for anything? I, I'm, I'm assuming, now I know you've already kind of told me that each of these regions could be so different than the other but i gotta believe that e-scouting illinois looks a lot different than e-scouting texas no matter what part of the state is there anything Mm -hmm. unique like from a step one e-scouting standpoint that you're thinking man there's this kind of feature that's really pretty unique to this area that you never would see in illinois or kansas or michigan but here i know that these kind of brushy patches and by the way you might hear a chainsaw in the background (laughs) sorry about (laughs) that guys we cool. had a big tree come down, and the guys that are helping with a little bit of this stuff uh, just showed up. Um, but anyways, is there anything <laughs> unique that stands out to you that's that's special down where you're at versus other places? Um, as far as map scouting goes, uh, I think it's more the way that we uh, read our terrain some. And I don't think it's unique to specifically where we're at, but it might be more of a southern deer hunter versus northern deer hunter type thing. We, we have to... We have to hunt deer a lot of times that aren't moving to heavy bed to feed type things because um, where most of these public properties are that we hunt, 
they are uh, old Corps of Engineer properties or WMAs or whatever it might be that's just in low-lying areas that aren't good for any type of agriculture. And if there is close agriculture, usually it's hay, which down here is coastal Bermuda, which deer do not even care about, you know? So uh, a lot of times we're hunting deer that are on more natural movement patterns. So we're trying to find uh, things that funnel movement. And that's probably pretty broad across the spectrum, no matter what state you're in. But uh, I think that what we end up hunting a lot are these creek bottom, river bottom type uh, areas. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I guess there's two things that I, I would think about. There's something that we really like to key on we call creek horns i don't know they might be called something you know somewhere else but it's essentially a big bend in a in a uh riparian system right so uh some people might call it a peninsula oxbow oxbow yeah something like that but just something that's going to you know take whatever deer we're moving in large set area and make them have to kind of pinch down to go around the corner of that uh, creek or river or whatever it may be. We we look for that a lot because a lot of times on these WMAs and stuff, you can, you, there's enough hunters around that if you see a good looking pinch on the aerial, there's going to be a standard to there already, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to find the stuff that's, that's kind of unique to that situation. Yeah. You know? We also um, use like secondary creek crossings a lot too. So off of, because the, the creek system generally is a highway for deer. They're going to move up and down this creek system a lot of times. And then they have to cross these secondary creeks that feed in, these feeder creeks. And um, there is there are very specific points that they cross on these things sometimes. So if you can find that, it takes, it takes boot scouting to find that for sure a lot of times. But that's a starting point. And, um, you can usually find out. the secondary creek on the you, – you actually using like the uh, – uh, the terrain topo lines and stuff and then you can walk that thing up and down and kind of find those secondary crossings or whatever mm-hmm. and uh you know that's pretty good for for rut and even pre-rut stuff but we also kind of have a technique that i think is pretty unique for uh later season down here um all these properties get a ton of pressure you know as a lot of places do in the country and um by you know mid-december deer actually end up habitating in places that you wouldn't expect them to and we have these these areas uh on these river bottoms that are mostly like um floodplain and it'll be uh ash trees with like hardly any um vegetation on the on the forest floor and uh, it's because it's um underwater you know three or four months out of the year and it's extremely difficult to hunt because all these trees are five, six inches in diameter and it's very monotonous and it's real hard to pattern deer. And those deer just know that people don't like to go into that kind of stuff and hunt because it's almost impossible to, A, pick a spot that you think you'll be within 30 yards of a deer and, and also, B, find something, a tree that's big enough to hang a saddle or a tree stand in. So I think that that's one of the things that's really kind of helped us with success in the past is kind of identifying those places that – um hunters don't want to go. That's an interesting point. I Another opposite example, but it's something that's a little bit unique to what I see. So there's, there's finding these places that hunters wouldn't want to go. But then I also know you guys have had some success on the native vegetation that you mentioned where people would probably see it and think, Ooh, I should go here. So, so what about like persimmon thickets or something? I've seen you guys yeah. take advantage of that. And that's something yes. that, I never run into up here. 
but yeah, I know you're seeing yeah. down there. Talk to me a little about that. Uh, so persimmons are going to be a early season food source most of the time. You'll find some. Tyler actually has one here that's a late dropper, which is gold. <laughs> you can find one, yeah. uh, and it's actually kind of nice to hang a camera on one of those for seasonal data, even if you're not going to go back just to see when they drop. But uh, if you don't know what a persimmon is, it's uh, uh, I can't remember the scientific name, but they're an orange fruit that are about the size of a golf ball. They'll be green in the summer and they'll start to ripen towards the fall. And um, deer, possums, hogs, raccoons, everything just love them. And if you taste one that's ripe, they are actually delicious. But a lot of times, us as humans, we can taste the tannins in them and they don't taste very good. But animals are a little bit less sensitive to that. So um, we've just found, especially if you can uh, find some later droppers that are kind of pre-rut or, or even in early November, that, man, everything is in there. And what happens is it kind of creates like a a little hub of deer activity. It's not just a food source, but this is this is something you see in food sources across the board, right? Like there's food source staging where, uh, you know, they want to go in there and eat the persimmons or eat the beans, eat the corn, whatever it might be, and but they don't feel quite comfortable or um, they know they can be in this certain area, and it just ends up being an area of like a social hub, right? And we see that around persimmons a lot. There'll be scrapes and rubs and just does and bucks. Like last year um, – uh, we have antler restrictions where we live, so they have to be a certain uh, width to uh, to be able to shoot. And we had a buck come in that was kind of right there bordering, and we decided to to not. Uh, in in retrospect, it was maybe not a great decision, but it was the right one in the moment. You know, <laughs> I kind of have a little bit of uh, better safe uh, than sorry. Yeah. What's that? Better safe than sorry. <laughs> That's right, man. You know, you don't want to do anything uh, illegal, but. Um, so it was really cool because we actually got to um, just observe. Uh, I don't know. We had no wind, so we kind of had like a rising thermal situation or something. It was it was really weird. But the deer pretty much went all around us and never smelled us, and uh, just got to see him come in and and um, we jokingly like to say rut around. He rutted around us a good bit, you know. <laughs> but he was you know making scrapes, rubbing on trees, and uh, smelling around. And then another younger buck came in from a different direction and uh he like walked over there and did a very interesting quiet but prominent snort wheeze uh i don't know if you've heard that before but in the midwest you know i hear him just you know yeah. and just blow the wind out it was almost like he knew he was a three-year-old so he didn't want to do too much but he wanted to let this one-year-old know who was the boss of the the immediate area yeah. you know but it was just kind of cool to just see uh you know that interaction and how much can happen around a quality native natural food source like that yeah and to to kind of relate that back to like e-scouting stuff uh one way to find those and you you have to pair this up with like putting your eyes on this a lot of this stuff um, that's how you become better at finding it on the map without having to go find it with your boots or yeah. whatever but like basically um you know a lot of the stuff we hunt we can you these um, persimmons will grow in low-lying areas and a lot of times in open areas so if you've had a place that's been cleared by the state they a lot of times are clearing cedars and burning them and stuff and so they'll have these kind of little fields and stuff made um, that are kind of going fallow and uh, you can find them they're usually growing in thickets they don't grow by themselves very often they grow in thickets so you can start to Find those. If you find them with your eyes as well, then you can relate that to almost any map you look at. So as you're saying this, something popped in my mind, and it, it, it kind of takes in another direction, but I, I got to wrap my head around this. Do you guys, 
Do Texas hunters identify as like being Southern deer hunters or do you feel like you're in a totally different category? So what I mean by that is, I mean, do you and a deer hunter from Alabama and a deer hunter from Georgia be like, oh man, those guys up in the Midwest are always talking about this stuff. It doesn't relate to us, but you know, we, we all get each other. Do you have that? Or do you find yourself on a different Island um, from other people down in the South and Southeast? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of that, you know, Um, we live, we're like, we are just pretty much in the South and the Southwest, like where we're at. I mean, it's crazy, but like, you know, like Fort Worth and all that is like huge steakhouse country, you know, cattle drives, we got stockyards in Fort Worth, like big, big stockyards, you know? And, and so like, we kind of, we actually live, as far as food goes, we live in a pretty That's awesome right, place. Dude. Killer Cajun food, killer Mexican food, killer steaks, you know, yeah. it's just. We got the Gulf, you know, we got shrimp, seafood. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a good place, but uh, we also are kind of like a mutt in that sense where we don't really completely relate to anybody. We kind of have this southwestern vibe a little bit, and and uh, it's a little bit different where we're at directly, at least, uh, because we're not thick, thick, heavy pines. So it's a lot different than like Alabama or something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you have guys that'll be like, oh, pro football's the best, and then somebody else will be like, college football's the best. <laughs> but then you get those college football guys – to the side and like, you know, war Eagle versus, you know, roll tide, you know what I mean? So like, I'm sure there's uh there's some guys who would go back and forth about if South Texas or, uh, East Texas is better hunting, you know, but, uh, uh, overall we're all united in, uh, you know, dogging on the Midwesterners, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's fun, man. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I would say that, uh, kind of going back to one of the first things you said, um, I guess uh, as far as culture goes, I don't know if um, I feel personally a whole lot of like that Texas pride or whatever when it comes to hunting here versus somewhere else, you know, and that's kind of why we travel around, man. I just love deer. I love going and seeing new places and hunting deer in new spots. And it's cool to go to the Midwest and experience that. And like Tyler drew Iowa in 19, Mm -hmm. right? And like to go, go up there and just see everything that you've heard Bill Winky talk about your whole life about like how specific days matter and what happens, you know, on this day versus this day. It's, it's neat. So important question then, (laughs) which is better pro football or college football? (laughs) Oh, 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 I can answer you straight up college. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We can, we can continue. That was the correct answer. (laughs) But you're kind of the same boat as us though. Like you don't have a lot to brag about with the lines. So it's like, eh, you know, yeah, definitely college, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) We've had many, many better years on the college side. Uh, (laughs) What do you think about UT and Oklahoma going to the SEC? Mm. Oh man. Um, it was we can make this a th- our 30 second segment <laughs> <laughs> so uh i went to a&m texas a&m which you you may know of so yes. uh for me i'm like all oh, those followers you know <laughs> yeah but uh I, I a little part of me i'm not going to tell all my a&m friends right but a little part of me is kind of excited to get to play those games again yeah it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be yeah. very interesting uh yeah. okay so that other way and go green michigan state <laughs> university uh yeah what about what about this do you view is it easy when you come up to the midwest when you go up to kansas or nebraska or illinois do you view that as this is a piece of cake compared to back home or do you go up there knowing this is going to be a big challenge just a different kind of thing Uh, and and tell me that for you for you individually but also i'd be curious if you have a sense of like what the general sense is from your friends or other people you know in the south when they come up 
how do they view this? Um, yeah. I think that aspects of the Midwest are a little easier. And I think a lot of the times that's uh, just related to deer densities. Uh, and because of where we live, we don't have a high deer density. Now, parts of the state are different than that. But outside of that, man, whitetail or whitetail. I don't think that like a Michigan buck is any smarter than, you know, put them on the same plane, right? Like a five-year-old Michigan buck and a five-year-old Iowa buck. They're probably both really keen because God made them that way, right? They are made to be survivors. So, um, you know, outside of that, you're going to have a little bit of regionality where you have deer that have, you know, had arrows fly past their head. So they're looking up more than out, you know, stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I find easier about the Midwest is that the deer are larger animals. So they lay down more sign. Uh, Rubs in particular and trails are extremely difficult to find where we live because the deer just don't weigh a lot. And I think that makes a difference as far as how much, like, what kind of pronounced trails you can see yeah. on the ground. You, and you compare that with, here's another thing we run into a lot. Um, you can find a really great trail in the woods and there's a really good chance that it's hogs where we live. Mm-hmm. So you, you, and you don't have that in the Midwest, which is actually really nice. You know, I don't get me wrong. Yeah, I love that. to shoot them and they're great eating, but, uh, and I put the G on the end of that for you, Mark, but, um, <laughs> because <laughs> normally it'd be eating. uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you go up there and you find a good trail and you're like, oh, hot dog. You know, this is deer. This is cool. Yeah. But at the same time, man, it's um, I know there's there's aspects of it that are more difficult. It's way colder where y'all are at, you know, like, <laughs> uh-uh, I ain't doing, you know, two foot of snow and deer you know? <laughs> ain't about that. So I think that uh, it's it's just fun to go see the differences. I mean, what do you? What yeah, do you for think? me personally, you know, like I, I like. um I like to there like you said there's a challenge in le- in leaving home and going somewhere else and learning these new plant types and uh also even like the cultural dynamics that happen in the in within hunters you know like if you're hunting public land then you're um you, you know there is a some sort of aspect in the hunt of um other hunters affecting your hunt. So I don't want to say like you against other hunters necessarily, but like you have to understand what they're doing, what they like to do. You know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, different cultures, you know, there's different times of, uh, different seasons where like, um, if, uh, if a state has like a three day gun season, there's a chance that, uh, you don't want to be there during those three days, you know, cause it's going to be just a madhouse. But for us in Texas, we've got a two month rifle season and, um, you know, basically after opening weekend, it's about the same amount of deer gun pressure from then till January, you know? And so, um, knowing that, uh, doesn't, it doesn't, you know, hunting in Texas, it doesn't affect my gun season, doesn't affect my plans really. And so, um, there are things like that, that I do like as a challenge when you go out of state, um, that you have to kind of, uh, observe and, and figure out. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't say that the Midwest necessarily hunts, um, necessarily easier. Um, but, but like KC mentioned with the sign being easier to see, uh, more pronounced, I think that, um, hunting around here when you are able to, to, 
you know, find sign and make your way um, and spend time out here doing that, then when you go to the Midwest and these deer weigh, you know, 220, 250 pounds, they're, they're just making better sign and it makes things so much more easy. Uh, another thing, lastly, I would say is um, a lot of uh, the country up in the Midwest, a lot of times, um, I think lends itself to bow hunting uh, a little bit better because um, you've got less kind of big woods uh, type atmosphere, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. We, like Casey mentioned, we have all these floodplains and stuff, and it's just so hard to get within 30 yards of a buck a lot of times, and or even a deer, period. And so um, I think a lot of times you've got these little shelter belts, you've got uh, these little sloughs where um, the farmer couldn't, you know, till. And so you've got these small areas that deer kind of are automatically just funneling through as they move through cover that kind of helps so i wouldn't i don't want people to think that uh we sit here and crack on people in the midwest for all the time for having hunter we don't want you to think hunting. that but we do we just yeah <laughs> no, no i'm reading between the lines i'm reading between the lines here. <laughs> yeah no i will say this though man to kind of uh kind of piggyback on the sign thing that tyler's talking about one of the things that can be difficult for us is that we show up in say iowa which is uh, I mean, I think you drew this year, right? So, like, you know, yeah, and you've yeah. hunted there before. Sometimes the sign can be overwhelming because, mm-hmm. like, we are like, oh, man, a scrape. This is awesome uh, where we live. And, and you go up there, there's a scrape every 10 yards on the fence line, <laughs> you know, and you have to interpret that stuff and and actually – uh, make moves to understand that, Hey, I need to push in further. I need to go to a different area or how fresh is fresh. Yes, exactly. Yes. And is this, is this getting laid down at night versus the daytime and Mm -hmm. all these things, these factors that you have to play into. So I I, I do think that there, uh, are even some specific challenges in what people think of as the happy hunting ground. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you 
great smoke at 180 degrees or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it. Sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. You bring up something I, I want to get into, which was if there were, and, and you kind of alluded to a couple there, I'd love to hear you dive into a little more. What I'm wondering is if there are certain general general things that you need or general modes that you have to switch from when going from the south up to one of these other states in the north or the Midwest. Like I know when I go from Michigan to Iowa, I'm going from a much higher hunting pressure state to a much lower hunting pressure state. So I always find myself being really paranoid about something in Iowa and then having to remind myself, okay, hold on, chill out. These deer act (laughs) different than back home. You can get away with this thing or that thing. So I'm I'm constantly needing to like put on a different hat when I'm in a certain place or when I'm going out on like a Western whitetail hunt, I got to put on my Western whitetail hunt glasses and look at things differently because there's just things that are different deer will act differently or they'll react to things differently or whatever so my my overarching question then is for someone coming from the south doing a traveling hunt up to illinois or kansas or iowa or ohio or whatever or michigan have there been any other things like what you just described that are general rules like hey you got to look at sign different or hey you need to realize this is there anything else that can be you know, helpful for people doing that first from south to north trip that they really need to keep in mind and, and do differently than back home? Outside of bringing all your clothes, you have to do that for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> but um, I think that uh, I would say vocalizations are a huge thing for me. And I understand that uh, I haven't hunted all the states, right? Uh, so I don't know anything really about Michigan or, you know, Minnesota or whatever. But like, in some of the Midwestern states that I've been to, uh, deer vocalizations are a big thing. And it's a thing that you can use. Whereas in Texas, man, uh, rattling works sometimes. And then grunts and snort wheezes, I have had way more bad experiences than good, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I would say kind of uh, up front, that's kind of the thing that I, I see for sure. I think you got something that you thought of right away too. Right? Um, the first thing I thought of was that if you ever hear anybody use overarching mark, it's because of you, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> like I, I'm telling you, I hear people say all the time, like, dude, that, they got that from Mark Kenyon, no, no doubt. I got a um, few of those things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You made a shirt like that one time, didn't you? Like all the sayings from the podcast or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, we did. I think I think that that being said was the big one. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> it's funny, dude. Uh, no, I mean, to to me, like, uh, that's definitely one of them. Is is like uh, getting away with more calling and stuff like that. Um, I would probably say that like if I'm leaving, uh, and heading North, um, some of the things I'm thinking about are that there is a much more defined, like Casey alluded to earlier, um, like dates matter. And so for us, like a couple of years ago, we had a 
really big buck on public here in Texas that uh, we got pictures of on February 22nd, I believe. And he's like fixing to breed a doe, no doubt. I mean, she's standing like it's about to happen. And so, uh, and that's not like something that happens. I mean, that's not like we don't have a rut in February. It's not Alabama or something like that. You know, it's not a weird rut place. But the thing is, we're just so, we're just such moderate or temperate weather that, um, you know, there's such a long window of opportunity and there's yearlings that are coming in, I guess, in February at some point, you know, and that, that happening. So like when I go up to the Midwest, I think, man, um, it kind of like, for, for instance, when I went to Iowa, we went in late October cause we saw some weather patterns coming in, in 2019 and it snowed twice while we we're on that trip. Um, it was real slow, uh, for much of that trip. It was like a seven or eight day trip. And when the snow came in, we just saw just bust loose, you know, but like that was also um, October 29th or something like that. So, um, you know, I I think that uh, those dates are a lot more, a lot more important, I guess. Really what when it comes to rut action and stuff like that here in Texas, at least um, what determines that more than anything is just when the heat stops, you know, and and the deer are comfortable running around more than anything i feel like a lot of times i think something that we've kind of keyed on in the last year really is uh, understanding the pre-rut phase that happens mm-hmm. in the midwest because mm-hmm. you kill a deer on that specific uh tactic in october last year yep. in, in illinois whereas here where we live and i'm I, I don't mean to say that it doesn't happen but i just have not learned enough to understand uh that there's anything in front of like a Texas rut outside of just deer doing complete pre-rut stuff. I, I might not be making sense, but like, for instance, uh, we saw a cold front coming and you went to Illinois and killed a deer over a scrape on October 23rd, like within the first two hours of hunting, mm-hmm. right? Like we knew it was going to happen. And in Texas, um, I you just knew, don't think there's... You knew that was going to happen? Dude, like, <laughs> well, like, not, like, <laughs> We Did you really feel like that was going to like, I'm curious though, because oh, I, 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 let me tell you, uh, Casey's the ultimate optimist. Oh, always. Yeah, I'm optimistic. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the cold front actually hit here before it hit, uh, where Tyler was. Cause I, I had to stay here and work. Tyler went up. Um, I had a, uh, a nine month old at the time. So actually I was babysitting. I wasn't working. So I had, I had the kids, so I couldn't go. Tyler went up there and the cold front hit and I called him. At about 12, 30, I was like, dude, it's happening. You're going to kill a giant. You know, we love to hype like that. You know, it's oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, I and, wasn't so sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler is a, he's a realist, which is probably a good place to be. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're optimistic. I don't want to give, I don't want to. I'm learning yeah. to be. Yeah, that's right. But so I, I felt really good about it. And it was uh, all about trail camera data, right? We had um, actually gone up there in the summer and scouted some and uh, found, um, what we would refer to as a hub scrape, like a place that is perennial and even used in the summertime, like the licking branch is getting hit, right? So we we knew it was a great place to hang a camera, hung a camera there, followed the trail camera data and kind of tracked, you know, what bucks were around. And, you know, as they moved closer to, you know, having daylight activity, that's kind of when we knew it was time to get going. And then you made the move to go right yeah i mean one thing that was that i liked a lot is that the cold front came in during the day so uh it gave me some time to or it gave me opportunity to walk in in daylight for the afternoon hunt as opposed to walking in in the dark and trying to figure out which tree to hang in (laughs) 
and you terrible. chose to, and you you got there though ahead of that, right? I mean, if I remember right, you you just drove yes. around that morning and and chose not to hunt so as not to blindly bust in, right? Exactly. Yeah, I I uh, figured I would just look, kind of uh, finding a you know Plan B as well in case I went in there and messed it up or something. But like uh, looking for, I was just looking for a couple things I was looking for when I was driving around. Is I was marking. Um, different types of ag so bean corn beans corn uh and wheat and that was what was in that area and i was just marking that to know um to see what deer were feeding and what type of agriculture and uh, i think at the time i was planning on if i had to hunt somewhere else hunting uh beans as opposed to corn um at the time because the corn hadn't been cut or something like that maybe but uh yeah i just drove around because i was like man the cold front's coming in about you know, 1 PM, I think that day. So it'd be better for me to go in with a good wind for one, um, for my access and everything, even for hunting the scrape, obviously. But, um, and then also that wind is noise cover and stuff like that too. So I'm, you know, like we, I was being aggressive, but at the same time playing, just playing a little bit conservative so that, um, you know, I, I, it just was, it was working to where like this was, this should work, you know, like all the variables line up mm-hmm. if we just do it right here. So let's just be patient and wait one a, half a we day. We call that something. Knowledgeably aggressive. Knowledgeably aggressive. That's what we've been saying lately, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and you probably know this too, Mark, and you can probably speak to it some, but like when you go on these out-of-state trips, you, you have a set schedule and it's a lot different of a mentality than being, you know, near your home turf and having oh, a yeah. season-long hunt, you know? So you have kind of a internal ticker that's always going off and telling you, Hey, three days, Hey, two and a half hunts, you know, three more sits, whatever it might be. So you have to, um, meter that you have to, you, the way we approach things, uh, and I hate to say we, because we're individuals, but you know, our hunting styles fit together really nicely, but, um, we, uh, we approach things with knowledgeable aggression. So like we make the most aggressive move that we can make, make sense in our heads. You know, uh, uh, we hardly ever just bust off in there and just see what happens. You know what I mean? It's just not the way, not the way we we do things. You know, uh, we don't do a lot of observation sits, you know, but like if the wind is completely wrong, we're going to find somewhere else to hunt because we might be able to kill something in a different spot. Or if the wind is just off wind and we can't really get where we want to be, we're going to get as close as we can without, you know, bumping the deer that way, like just entire situation, right? You just decided to drive around because you knew you could gather intel that would help you maybe the next day, but you knew that evening was going to be an A plus sit. So there's no reason to go take a C minus sit in the morning when you know you're going to have an A plus in the evening in the same location. I think it's important also to note that like when we go out of state, a lot of times we don't have a target deer most of the time. So, you know, if you had a target deer in mind, you'd want to be a lot more conservative than what we're talking about probably right mm-hmm. now, you know, and I think you know that as well as anybody, cause you've hunted some definitely lots of targets over the years, you know, yeah. which is cool. And I'm sure you're uh, also a little bit irritated at it. Times <laughs> <laughs> There's pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, that Illinois hunt, that was public land, right? Yes, sir. So my question then is, how how did hunting pressure factor into this at all? Like, why why was that huge eight pointer in there? And there was another nice buck I think that came in sort of the same time when you had that buck in underneath you, and there was some other little buck that came and hit that scrape, and you had trail camera videos of this big wide buck. 
why was this spot such a honey hole? Why weren't there other people in there doing the same darn thing you were trying to do? <laughs> uh, I can make some hypothesis as to why. I don't know for sure because this is the first year we hunted that place. Um, we, I think for one, um, KC is built like a hog a little bit. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> to clarify, um, he does not mind going through brush and just getting ticks on him and stuff like that. You know, like he just, he'll just bust through anything, you know. So you just put and, him uh, up front and then just follow behind him? Is right, that what you're exactly saying? right. Pull back, toss running back. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, he just eats spider webs and stuff. And uh, I need he someone found like you. This. Yes. Yeah. You do uh, for sure. Um, he's he's awesome. Awesome. But uh, Thanks, anyway, man. we we we're going through kind of just making this pass, you know, on this property and kind of really skirting a big ag field that ended up being a cut wheat field in the summer. So it was kind of like not a whole lot of benefit at the time, but we were in there, so we went. We're finding some rubs and stuff. Well, he finds this scrape, and um, we realize that it, it's being it's being used, you know. And I think that this scrape was in a spot that you know KC found because he's a fullback, you know. Like, <laughs> and dudes just don't want to go busting through brush and that kind of thing. So I think that there's an aspect that this scrape hadn't really been found by anybody yet, um, and it's also set in kind of a um, I don't know. I don't, the, the spot wasn't like when you look at maps of this place, um, it's a lot of acreage. And, you know, I don't think that you would pick this spot out of all the spots that you, yeah. you would find on this, you know, cause it's just not, uh, it's mostly ag fields. Um, it's kind of an out of the way, um, little strip in between ag fields and, you know, it's far enough in as well. Um, you know, it was, there's a little bit of elevation, at least for us, maybe not for other people, but, um, you're kind of walking up and down a little bit in kind of some ridge ridges and hills and stuff. And it's about six, it's like 650 yards, I think is what I measured at straight line, you know? So it's getting close to that half mile distance. Um, and for a lot of guys, man, when you're talking about, you know, early season, kind of warm, I don't think they're wanting to walk in too far and get after it too hard until the rut a lot of times. So I don't know maybe those are some of the factors that led to nobody having discovered this yet. You There's know? something else that I know you've mentioned in the past, um, is that, uh, you had the flexibility to actually head up there and do this hunt on a weekday. Yeah. Whereas, especially in October, you know, guys are using their rutcation dates in yeah. November the only opportunity they have to really go in October is on weekends. Yeah. You shot this deer on a Friday. Thursday. Thursday. I shot him on a Thursday and I drove around the next day on Friday because I had a buddy that was up there hunting with me. And um, I was just driving looking f- fields for him, you know, and there was a lot more people Friday afternoon than there was, you know, when I hunted on Thursday. So definitely was a difference, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. So what about uh, another example for you, for you, Casey, you were hunting a public land buck, and I think it was Kansas. Is that where you killed your big, big buck last year? Is that a good question, Mark. Maybe it's purposeful that you didn't label it. So if you don't want to tell me, you don't have to. No, it, it was Kansas. Yeah, okay. I was in Kansas. It looked yes, like a Kansas type, type of hunt. Uh, so <laughs> you were you were hiking in there, and you were saying that you're heading to this spot that looked good or something, and then you'd pass some ladder stands on your way in, and the sign was actually getting worse, but for some reason you picked out this spot. Uh, and you ended up having this great big old tight, tall, 10-point giant come in, yada, 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 and you killed him. Awesome. Why was he in there? Why weren't other hunters 
in that spot mucking that thing up? Why did that work out so, from a hunting pressure that's standpoint? A, that's that's a good question. I don't say that sarcastically. I, I, I mean that. Uh, you know, it, and it sounds like you watched that video, so thanks for watching, man. But uh, good that was the only deer I saw on that whole hunt, you know? So um, I'd seen a possum about 430, and that, that was the one that kept me in it, you know? So it was tough. And I would, the whole time, I'm Mr. Optimist is even second-guessing himself, you know? Like, <laughs> is this the right deal? But I would tell you, um, the reason I and, – and, this is counterintuitive to the advice I would give on a normal basis. So I guess you have to kind of interpret this how you will. But um, I looked at the map and got a broader picture. And I knew by the way deer act in that area is, you know, kind of Western Midwest stuff is that, um, you know, food sources are everything because it's arid, right? So winter wheat, they live and die by it out there, right? So I knew being close to that winter wheat is going to be more important because I killed that deer on November 23rd. Okay. Which is still definitely within the month of November. So deer are rutting and even on beyond that, you know, I think that, um, yeah, rut dates matter, but, um, if bucks or anything like people, they, they have things on their mind a lot of times, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I, but at the same time, uh, I had to interpret the situation uh, what matters more, this sign that I'm seeing or that food source that's over there. And I think that what was going on is that um, that buck was cruising for late estrus does. And all the sign I was seeing on the way in was rut sign. And that's all well and good if it's November 8th and they're just in there raging. But that deer is cruising for, for late November does. And those does are by all means going to that winter wheat at that point. That is where they're going to live. You know, they're going to go over there and eat. Now, I didn't see any that evening, but I couldn't see all the, you know, I'm on public and you just can't see all the ag field, right? But I think that's what he was doing. I think that he was cruising up and down the thicker habitat, um, waiting or trying to smell a late estrus doe. And uh, in that moment, I made a decision that helped me uh, inevitably kill that buck. Was it the right decision 10 times out of a, out of 10? Maybe not, but um, it did work out that time. You know, I think that it's funny. Um, you hear a lot of people talk about making good choices and making right decisions. And even those guys are only making the right choice 2% of the time, right. you know, <laughs> and most of us are, it will do, will do good to, you know, bat, you know, barely, you know, a 10th of a percent or whatever it might be, you know? So, uh, but in that scenario, uh, I think what really helped was to, instead of zoom in and try to find specific trails, which I did that as well. I found a, the, if you watch that video where the deer ends up jumping, uh, the fence onto private, um, uh, that was the trail that I'd seen on the map and decided that would be a good place to set up because it was kind of in a corner of a winter wheat field, um, but you know, on the broader picture, it was, uh, the idea of where was the best food within a couple square miles and that's where it was. So, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of what led to that deal. It was a heck of a buck. That certainly Thanks, was, man. uh, yeah, it was, it was it's awesome. my biggest buck ever. And, uh, I love it because, um, uh, I don't have a lot of mounts. This, that's actually the first year I've ever shoulder mounted and I was really happy with it. You know, it's just beautiful to be able to have something like that to hang in your house and, I've got a uh, a year and a half old, and we sit in the recliner, 
and we'll be rocking or whatever, and he'll point up and go, D, you know, looking at my deer. <laughs> no, it's just the coolest thing. You know, I know you're a fellow. You kind of understand, man. It's it's awesome. Yes, that's the best. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I wanna pose something, and I want to make sure you guys both know this is a safe space. All right? You're in the okay. trust tree. Uh, I like it. Uh, and and any answers to these questions cannot these cannot be used against you, okay? So whatever you're about to tell okay. me cannot be used against you or held against you in any way, all right? You both understand? Yes, yes sir. Yes, we sir. are with you. Okay. So we'll give uh I'm gonna throw the fullback under the bus first. So Casey, you're up first. <laughs> all right, let's go. The bus if, is gonna have a big bump. If there was one thing that Tyler could do to be a better oh. deer hunter. Like if you could change one thing, like right now tell me you got to do this different or you got to do this better or you got to fix this thing you keep screwing up. Okay. What's there that one thing it would be that you would tell Tyler? Um, you sure this is a trust tree? <laughs> <laughs> and be detailed. Be detailed. Uh, yeah, man, you might have should have prefaced me a little bit on this because <laughs> I, we might have already ironed all this out. You know, we've been hunting together like 4 or 5 years. So, um no, but I can think about it. Um, so uh, Tyler is a very pensive person. He spends a lot of time thinking about things. Uh, and this is why we hunt together well. I don't. I, I am a go with your gut, make observation. I process things very fast. That's not always a good thing, though. Um, but this is about Tyler. It's not about me. We're not about my fault. Um, so um, Tyler sometimes will get a little bogged down in a decision. When, uh, and this isn't often, right? But that, that is something that can affect his hunt. And I think you'd probably agree. Um, it's, it's in, um, sometimes it's time to just be an Indian and make some choices and go after it, which it sounds very cliche, but <laughs> there, there are times like that. Like you just have to live and buy, live and die by the situation, you know? And I would say that, um, Tyler has worked on that and is, is really good at it now, but that's still something that you, you struggle with. He's, he's nodding his head. He's okay. just trying to think about something mean to say about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So now let's, let's yeah. flip Would it you, around. How do, you, how do you feel about my description? Uh, I think it's hilarious because the first <laughs> thing, that, the first thing I was thinking is KC settles sometimes yeah. with a spot and it worked out in Kansas, you know yeah. what I mean? But like, um, I, I will stand, so I actually killed a buck. I haven't released the video yet, but um, I killed a buck on public in Kansas as well this past year, and I um, I walked past a bunch of good sign and then walked back to it. Maybe I learned something from KC's hunt. I don't know, because I killed this deer late, late. And, um, <laughs> in the I'll, season, not in the day. <laughs> yeah, late in the season, yeah. And so um, I... I walked past this spot and got in there and started thinking and the wind wasn't like I wanted it. And like so many things, you know, I'm just analyzing everything and I'm, I'm thinking, and like if a camera dude was with me at the time, he would have been thinking I was crazy. You know, I'm just sitting there staring at the ground pretty much thinking, you know, I can relate and to this. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> I, I listen to your podcast funny, a lot. Mark, so. so, uh, you know, We've been listeners of you you for a long time. You know, you've you've had a podcast for a long time, and you you have a great product. Um, and Thank we've you. kind of drawn some similarities in your personality and Tyler's personalities. Yeah. Y'all are a lot alike. I think. <laughs> yeah. you really are. Um, so it sounds like you're doing you, some good stuff, Tyler. I really like what you're describing here. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> you, do, you do. You think Casey's terrible? <laughs> no. We are. Super, you're going to ask him the same question, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, so 
Um, I would say like, you know, me, I'm sitting there thinking, 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 I finally go back to the better sign that I saw found. I knew that looking on, on, um, the map that, um, there was a Creek crossing there or whatever. So I put all this stuff together I think about it. And a lot of times I'll get to the spot and I'll spend another 20 minutes thinking about which tree I need to be in, you know, and KC's just like, he just, let's do this, you know? And it's, and like he said, like, I think that that balances me out pretty well when we're hunting together, um, you know, both of those characteristics. So like, <laughs> it was just hilarious because the first thing I thought before he ever answered was that sometimes he is just like, oh yeah, this is going to work. Then we're going to kill something here. You know, like, so you yeah. inverse of what I said, which <laughs> is, is funny because, um, uh, I feel like, um, uh, Tyler's never the guy who would like leave home without his bow and that is a hundred percent me was it two years ago i don't remember um uh, uh one year i was glassing a place we were in separate areas and uh i got out i thought i was gonna make a stalk on a deer decided not to got back in the truck put it in reverse and then saw my bow in the reverse camera i was about to run it over right and that's just tyler would never be moving fast enough for that to happen <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's and that's that's the difference in us. And I think that honestly, man, like um, there is a very much a uh, a loner mentality or a a, a, a lifestyle or, or mantra that people have in whitetail hunting specifically. Um, and I think that not that some people don't function well and I'm not criticizing them, but I, I don't want to understate the importance that I feel of having a quality hunting partner, not just buddy, but just somebody that you really can rely on and, and that kind of um, helps you make better decisions and helps you go on hunts and just somebody to really deep dive in a thought process with, you know, like that's just, yeah. it's been invaluable for Tyler and I is, is like we've, you know, become closer and better friends and hunting partners that we can just bounce these ideas off of each other and, um, I can't tell you how many times I was like, oh, man, look at this spot on the map, you know, at like 11 p.m. or whatever. We're laying in bed. And Tyler's like, yeah, but what about your like, how are you going to access it? And I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, there's like really hardly any way to get there, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I really see a lot of value in that for sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to be fair uh, and and give you a chance to send a blow my way. You, you've heard the Wired Hunt podcast over the years. You, you've maybe heard me discuss what I do and how I do things enough times that something has stood out to you where you said, Mark, you want? have you ever screamed at the radio and said, just stop doing that or do this? Is there anything that you need to get off your chest now? This is your chance. Uh, we both get to go, right? Oh, no. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can both, if there's oh, that uh, many. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, you, you seem like a sandal guy and I, I don't want to like, uh, just, you know, toot your horn for you or anything. But, um, I would say I have a funny one and then actually a hunting one as well. Okay. Uh, so if, if it's safe space, right? Safe space. Um, yes. I think as Texans, when you say balance and challenge, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> or egg. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell you the story. You might know this guy. Uh, he he, he, works, does. he works with you. Yeah. So uh, Garrett Long. Long. Yeah. We know yeah. a lot of Garrett's. Garrett Long, we were out to eat supper with him one time, and he was talking about egg fields, and I <laughs> literally had no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> And it's, you know, ag, like with an A, you know. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I had the blankest look on my face. And Tyler, had, Tyler saw me and had to tell me he's talking about, you know, like agriculture. But Do we really anyway. sound like that? 
Uh, I, I overemphasized it for sure. Uh, Agfield, ag, ag Agfield. Ag. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Good, good that's job. Good. And I, I I'm gonna keep working on that. Change, man. You need to be you. <laughs> yeah, but, for sure, uh, for sure. But it's just funny as a Southerner, like it sticks out. Uh. You know, balance for sure. But <laughs> um, funny. and I think you've addressed this too, man. And, and I, I appreciate that. But I think that um, you've uh, struggled with pre-shot buck fever, son. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think, and I don't know because I haven't hunted with you, um, but uh, I think that you've kind of addressed that. But I think you'd recognize that that's a problem you've had too. Is that right? Yeah, definitely, definitely something I struggle yep. with and had my moments and work in progress still. Right? I mean, always. Yeah, I mean, and it's cool to get excited, man. You know, like that's not, yeah. it's not a bad thing by any means. You know, it, For but sure. uh, it just you got to make sure it doesn't impede um, you in your goal. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right. What's next? <laughs> uh, if I had to, if I had, do I have to say one? You know, you, no, you don't have to. But if something, if okay. something came to mind, okay, you could. Same time to throw me into the bus this way too. Like, oh, actually, you're the only one yeah. to be mean to my. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just wondering if I had to say one because there's a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can, you no. can, you can send it out, or we can, we can just move on. Yeah, yeah. let's let's move on, man. All I right. mean, I, I thank oh. you. Okay, Casey's gonna. All right, here we go. Uh, I would say uh, kind of in the same boat as me sometimes what KC thought about me at least is the analysis paralysis yes. um, mm-hmm. thought, you know, just sometimes just like, you know, you obviously this stuff is such a passion for you, man. And, and you've been doing it for so long. You just, you know, you want to make big decisions and make them right. And uh, sometimes uh, that's a tough thing to do, man, because there's so many variables and you have time. It's not like, you know, like in a football game, you just kind of like either you throw it or you don't, and it's either picked off or it gets caught for a touchdown right. or it's incomplete, you know. So it's a little different with deer hunting. You you make most of the time until the buck's right in front of you, you're making decisions that you kind of have some time to make, you know. I wonder yeah. if it would be – this is this is the only a weird nerd like me would ever <laughs> think of this, but I wonder if you put like a self-imposed time restriction on your decisions – so if like every time I got to spot, I'm like, all right, I got to pick a tree and I might mm-hmm. sit there and do what you're talking about, Tyler, and like debate back and forth, this and that. I need to just have like a, an app ready to go on my phone at all times. Okay. Decision time. And I hit that button. I've got five minutes and I have to make a decision in those five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that would help. The issue yeah. would be once you get into your tree, you sit there for hours thinking about how dumb you are <laughs> making yeah. that decision. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> a lot of self-loathing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Mark, I do think that uh, after we're mean to you, it's probably good for us to be nice to you. Um, <laughs> I think what's cool is that, like, even through your, um, you know, your media outlets that you have, it we have seen the growth in the change. Yeah, you know, you've you've taken steps and done things to address things that you've had a hard time with. You know, and I think yeah. that all of us, um, self evaluation is huge, mm-hmm. man. Like. As a hunter, you have to be able to self-evaluate. You have to be able to not just leave a hunt and say, well, I didn't get one. You need, you know. Why is the question? Yes, why. And this is all relative, right? Like if your goal is to go out and just have an opportunity to go hunting, then maybe you don't need to do that. But if if your goal is to go out and become a better hunter, then I think that, uh, you know, for sure you need to be able to self-evaluate um, and not be too proud to know your own flaws. Yeah. Another thing that I like about you, Mark, is, and I'm really just, ha- I'm, I'm appreciative of what you do and that you have a big voice because I think that you're a very solid um, 
solidly in the middle, like understanding of different uh, mentalities and different thoughts and different ways of hunting and uh, obviously a proponent of uh, conservation man and just, you know, getting people involved, um, you know, speaking to the experts and speaking to the guys who also, you know, uh, are new to this. But I really appreciate and am glad that you have a big voice because uh, you do a really good job, man. Yeah, I I do appreciate you guys saying that. And I didn't I didn't pay him to say this, guys. Everyone else no. listening, this wasn't pre-planned. <laughs> but you can. Yeah, you exactly. can. I could. <laughs> we, we have PayPal. You take a sound clip. Uh, Bring the band with the good. And on that note, it is time to wrap it up. So uh, where where can people go to see all the stuff you guys are doing? It's, uh, it's good stuff. I've enjoyed it. And uh, I'm glad we've got to have this conversation. So everyone that's listened to this and enjoyed it is going to want to go see these big giant bucks that you're uh, finding out there and, and secretly chasing down in secret states. So uh, what? Uh, <laughs> where can they find it? Yeah, sure, man. So um, our podcast is the Element Podcast, and that's kind of uh, uh, similar to a lot of podcasts where you have a weekly show, and then we have some special things we do that are uh, more intensive when it comes to like map scouting or we do a, a fall series called uh, Big Buck Breakdowns where we do hunting story type stuff. But Hopefully uh, you'll be on that this year, yeah, man. Dude. If you shoot a big buck, we'll have you on. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we have you know the social media outlets that everyone uh, l- hates to love. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. all that is uh, theelementwild.com. Uh, funny enough, the element was taken, so we had to add the mm-hmm. wild on the end there yeah. in the end. Yeah, the uh, website. Yeah, yeah. the elementwild.com is, yeah. is our, or hey, you're at the Element Wild. I guess I got that mixed yeah. up. Yeah, sorry. It's all, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, the Element Wild because we don't have 20 grand to spend on the element.com, you know? So. Yeah, and then uh, our YouTube channel, Tyler is actually our master YouTube expert. He's a, he's a great video editor and uh, does a really good job uh, on that. So um, if you just search the Element uh, or the Element Hunting on YouTube, you'll be able to find all the, the hunts that we've discussed today and some others as well. Uh, I would advise not going back too far because it gets <laughs> real <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way about my old stuff too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, man. For sure. Oh, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for taking the time to chat. This is this has been fun and uh, definitely want to circle back with you after the season or mid-season or something and see how all this is going for you. Sure. Absolutely, Mark. Sounds great, man. I hope you have a great deer season, yep. dude. Appreciate it. Right back at you. All right, and that's a wrap for us today. Definitely check out what these guys are doing on YouTube. Check out their podcast. It's all good stuff. Lots to learn from. So until next time, appreciate you listening. Best of luck if you've got a hunting trip coming on up. If you're heading out to go chase western critters or have an early season, late August or early September opener for whitetails, shoot straight, have fun. It's here. The good stuff has arrived. The 2021 whitetail season is kicking off, and I couldn't be more excited. So good luck out there. Have fun. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop. It's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. 
reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 